Welcome to the, the Garden Greenville. Jesus, the healer is in here. We're having some trouble with the slides this morning. We'll get it fixed this week. Um, since we can't read it together, let me just read our decree over us before we jump into the Word for a little bit. Father, we honor you in this house. And Jesus, you're our Master and Lord. And Holy Spirit, have your way here in our local assembly. There is no great man of God here. There are no superstars who shine above the rest. Everyone in this room is currently dealing with a hurt, hang-up, or habit. Jesus the healer is in the house and ready to help us. And not only do we all need God, we also need each other because we're better together. We'll find our lives when we lose them to Jesus. The end of self is the beginning of growth in him. Jesus is our aim, our goal, our desire. We admit that none of us are God, and we all need him to help us today. He's not caught off guard by our brokenness, imperfections, fears, doubts, or needs. The helper is ready to help us. This is your house, Jesus. We're hungry for you today. We're in a series on recovery, and recovery's messy. You know, at this point, about to turn 51, the only thing normal in life is that button on a washing machine. Somehow we have convinced ourselves that our lives should be neater, tidier. Bless your heart, that's just not the way it works. You know, we're all rascals. What else has the Lord got to deal with? You ever just looked in the mirror at yourself and just thought, you need Jesus? I'm going to read a really funny thing that a pastor said that sums up this series pretty well, especially today, because we're going to talk about a very uh, uncomfortable topic today, and that is there is no recovery without offering forgiveness and making amends for your own mistakes. I think you can talk about recovery, and it sounds good to read recovery stories, but there's never been a true recovery story where we do not have a personal-to-personal -personal relational reconciliation process. It's, it's hard because it's, it's easier just to give it to the Lord, brother. Just give it to the Lord. And well, we'll talk about that. All right. So a pastor one time said this, I need to make a correction to an announcement from last week's bulletin. It read, the church will host an evening of five di fine dining, super entertainment, and gracious hostility. It should have read, the church will host an evening of fine dining, super entertainment, and gracious hospitality. Sorry, folks, we are a loving church, not a hostile one. We love hurting people. <laughs> Who just did that laugh? Bless your heart. That was an awkward laugh. Who in here has a really awkward sneeze? Do you have that one friend that the sneeze is so awkward? It's almost like demonic. <laughs> when my mother-in-law sneezes, well, I, never mind. It's violent. We all just stare at her. She's watching this morning, probably watching live. It's awkward. I'm an awkward sneezer. All right. The pastor then went on to say, I just have one more announcement for this morning. The peacekeepers meeting scheduled for this afternoon has been canceled due to a conflict. Do you know that the super apostles got into a fight in Acts? <laughs> it's in the Bible. There are two guys in the Bible. I hope they're in heaven. I like to meet them. Their legacy in the Bible is Paul kicked them out of a church. Hymenius and Alexander. Do you know that Noah got off the boat and got naked? And drunk. Like somehow we've convinced ourselves that we're losers and all of our biblical heroes got it right. 
Simon Peter was the apostle that Jesus flipped the keys to, and he could not come to grips with the Gentile conversation. This is someone that walked in the presence of Jesus Christ for three years, and the Lord had to send a vision of a sheet to correct him of his mistake. Cut yourself a little bit of slack. He wrote two little letters in the Bible. I could go on and on. The grandfather of our faith, Abraham, he was messy. Find me one person in Scripture minus Jesus who was not messy. Somehow we just disqualify ourselves saying, I've blown it. I've missed it. I don't know. There's hope for all of us. But it is predicated upon one thing, and this is what hypergrace can't stand. It is predicated upon repentance. The devil from hell right now is unleashing an agenda of lawlessness. It's a sign of the end times. The goal is to get this thing to a point where our children and their children do not believe there is such thing as sin anymore. That's the, that's the goal. And right now, what the Lord is doing is releasing the sword of truth. You're actually watching right now a civil war inside of his own bride. God told me to go um, prayer walk Gettysburg six years ago. I had no idea why. You know, it's funny. God will tell you. To, God has got. God can do whatever He wants. He's the boss, really. There, there's a man in here today. It's a really funny story. I'm, we're gonna plug off this Friday. I'm in my car with Jack Norris uh, Wednesday, and the God of the universe speaks to me and says, "Yell at the man to your left." I have my window down. Tell him you like his truck. Well, I yelled at him. It was 1969 Bronco. I said, "What? Well, what year is that?" And he said, "You're my pastor." I thought he called me a bad word <laughs> that sounds like pastor. I, I thought he said, and then I'm looking at him because I'm like, we can go right here on Woodruff Road if you want to go. <laughs> Why did I do that? Well, God told me to. Oh, wouldn't you know it? He just walks outside and we're going to play golf this coming Friday. What's the point of what I'm saying? God, God is smart. He is so smart. If God took the SAT, he would ace it. I made a 740 on SAT. I don't care if two trains are coming at the same or different directions. One's at 100 miles. I, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I couldn't stand it. That's why I went to a junior college. Anyway, when God tells you to do something, he doesn't have to tell you why. So I'm at Gettysburg. I love history, especially American history. But even the intercession team is like, why are we here? I think Teresa was there. And my answer was, I'm not totally sure. Until I started writing a book called God is Shaking His Temple. And I was back here in the, in the mother's feeding room. There was nobody else back there, just me. It was on the middle of the week. And the Lord showed me why I had to go. I was like, whoa. You know, there are times the Lord doesn't come to bring peace. He comes to bring a sword. And right now, if you look at what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention and other denominations in America, if you look at what's happening with Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church, if you look at what's happening at IHOP, if you scan back and look at what the Holy Spirit is doing on the earth right now, he's drawing a line in the sand. Literally, he's drawing. And, and you're watching it, what I wrote about and God is shaking his temple. It's a civil war inside of the bride. There is one camp that they don't know they're doing it right now, but if they keep pushing this agenda within 20 years, we're going to be on the precipice of universalism where there is no such thing as sin. To where, why are we going to be so hard on homosexuality? Chad, you need to lighten up. 
The goal from the enemy and the spirit of lawlessness in the end time is to get us to the place where there's no such thing as sin anymore. There are many people that have come through this church that honestly don't see offense as even a big deal. One of the most dangerous things that can ever come out of your mouth is, I'm not ready to forgive so-and-so. Well, when you say something like that, you don't understand that the sword of truth in Scripture paints unforgiveness and bitterness as a really big deal. There have been two people in the past three years, and I know both of them very, very well. And it's two of the hardest words I've ever had to give anyone, and the Holy Spirit got to them before I could get to them. Both of them were headed to hell, and they thought they were in Christ. Um, Somewhere along the way, we just stopped preaching on hell as though it's not real. There is nothing more dangerous than to think you're following Jesus, but you've created a Buddy the Elf fictional theology that makes you feel good, not knowing that you're so far off track that your literal eternal destiny is at stake. And so I'd rather be someone that loves well by speaking truth well because I'm going to be held accountable to everything that comes out of my mouth. I'm going to be judged more strictly than you are. This is out of the Lord Jesus Christ's mouth. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There is no recovery without forgiveness. There is no Christianity without forgiveness. And there are millions upon millions upon millions of people in the body of Christ who think they're born again because they prayed a sinner's prayer back when they were eight, but their life is full of bitterness unforgiveness, malice, and strife, and slander, and gossip. And it's really sobering. I don't remember the last time this happened. Um, I used to play golf on Fridays, and the Lord said, I want you to cancel that. I want you to sit with me. Wendy and Ruthie were out of town, Sam and Jack were out of town, and I had the house to myself. I sat with the Father for two days, and the, I was on the phone with Michael Thornton probably five times, and he gave me a download upon download upon download of the danger of offense and how it is the sliding slope into hell itself. I don't mean hell metaphorically. One day, you're going to die and stand before Jesus Christ. And many of us have gotten our theology off of the back of sleazy grace cereal boxes and we don't know what the word says. There are mega ministries that are on TV that literally say there's no such thing as new covenant repentance. There's no such thing as new covenant idolatry. If you are offended, you may not know it, but God knows it. And when you are when you stay in offense and you will not forgive your brother, your sister, or you you become offended with God. You have to know that your eternal security is even on the line. There are lead pastors of churches with major movements. You don't need God. You do not need God to lead a lot of people, especially in today's world. You need some marketing, some uh, clickbait, shocking type things to say, and you can get a following in a hurry. You're going to stand before the eternal judge, and the judge puts one thing at the top of his I care about list, and that is forgiveness and mercy, and grace. Do you know that your perpetrator, perhaps not even knowing, 
was entangled with so much of the demonic can be in a bad place, but you can be in a bad place as well, headed to hell when you refuse to do what the Lord commands. We have become so worshipers of ourselves that even in a culture that God is helping a lot of people with trauma, it's one thing to deal with your trauma. It's another thing to worship your trauma. And you can get to a place where you worship your trauma, where you just convince yourself the person who wronged you deserves hell, not knowing you are damning yourself. You deserve hell. So a person that says, I'm not ready to forgive, get born again because you forgot what you were saved from. There's a man in this church named Sean Tabbitt. His family has been going through a very difficult season. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a brother to me. And a few of his kids are in Garden Academy. And uh, Sean has published a couple of books that I've written, and one is called God is Shaking His Temple. And in that process, we did some filming here, and I met a man named John Baker. I'd never heard of John Baker. Let me tell you how hard it is to sell a million books. All right, that'd be, it's really difficult. I mean, you sell 10,000 books, that's a big deal. He sold a million books, and it's a book called Imagine Heaven. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's a bunch of stories of NDE, near-death experiences. Well, he just came out with another book called Imagine the God of Heaven, and I'm almost done with it, and I'm telling you, you have to feed your faith because you will gravitate towards what's in your mind. If you feed your mind on porn and stay on porn, you will gravitate towards filth. If you set your mind on things above and you lock into the king of glory and his kingdom and stories about encounters with him and his word itself, it, it, it comes alive in you. If you have a hard time worshiping corporately or even privately, it doesn't make you a terrible person. That just means your mind is not full of God because when your mind is full of God, you're so thankful for what you've even been uh, forgiven of. In this book, the last two days, story upon story upon story, I said, Father, thank you for John's new book because it's just a reminder we're only down here for a short time. These aren't stories of charismatics who had experiences. These are stories of people who verifiably died. And guess what almost all of them have in common? I'm talking, I think there's 8 million people on the earth right now, I think, I think, I think this is right, I'll double check it, that have had an NDE. Guess what they all have in common? When you get there, the Lord cares very little about what you built. He cares everything about who you forgave, who you extended mercy to. And I have a word for this house because it's a wholesale deliverance right now. Right now in the angelic, this entire house at one time, what God does in one, he does in many, is being delivered of a spirit of self-hatred. Some of you, your problem is not your perpetrator. Your problem is you've turned your guns on yourself and your knives on yourself. And I'm here to tell you, he loves you a lot. Some of you have been sexually confused for quite a while. He loves you a lot. You might have pain pills in your pocket right now. He loves you a lot. But there's one thing he requires. There's one thing he demands. There is no recovery without repentance. Recovery is not a Dr. Phil term where we get in a room and say, yeah, I struggle with it. That's not the healing. That's just being vulnerable so the transformation can come. When you see your addiction as sin, you'll change. When you see your sin, when you, these pet sins we have, even though he loves me in the middle of my pet sins, he demands repentance. And that's what we talk about this morning. All right. Um, let's get to, uh, okay, I'll read these. All right, all right, okay. All right, so we started off with realize I'm not God. 
I admit I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. That's a really positive first step in recovery. Step two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help recover. Praise God for God. Three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. This is good stuff. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. See, that the first ones are easier because it's just you and God. We can go into the secret place. We're rebranding media right now, and I'm about to do a lot of recordings with Michael Thornton, and God will not leave me alone about warning people against the Papa Daddy God uh, stuff that I keep hearing. We can create such an image of God. If, if we're not careful, we will create a disassociated, it's just me and my Papa Daddy God, not knowing that Papa Daddy God, at some point, if you're really following God, is going to make you face another person, someone that you've either hurt or hurt, has hurt you, you cannot worship the secret place because in the secret places where disassociated theology happens. The biblical worldview of Judaism from the very beginning is we before me. So the back half of recovery is not going to be just you in your journal. <laughs> We've all been there, including me. I'll never forget when the Lord told me one time, put your journal down. You've journaled enough. Read Henry Nouwen so much, it's like I'm a, a priest. It's like, well, let's just get involved in the lives of people. It's easy to hide. It's, it's very difficult to hide in this church, by the way. It's why a lot of people have left this church, because you can't hide here. Can I be real? Can we just talk? All right. Um, voluntarily submit to the changes God desires to make in my life. And then here we go, the big E. Evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I have done when possible, except when to do so would harm others. All right, let me read some passages here. You may want to turn to this on your phone because uh, we can't throw it up there. Go to Matthew 5, through 24, either in the copy of the Word itself, the Bible, or on your phone. Because I want you to earmark this. It's very difficult to be transformed by six minutes in a particular passage. It's best to earmark this and take it home, wrestle with it, chew on it. Israel was birthed out of a wrestling match with Jacob and Jesus. We change when we wrestle. I'm rereading Matthew Perry's book. You know, Matthew Perry died a few weeks ago. I'm rereading his book on recovery, and it's, <laughs> he's real. And in one of the things, he used to get so mad. He was the actor on Friends, Matthew Perry, many of you know him. He used to get so mad at these stories of instant deliverance and recovery. He's like, I just don't get it. What do you mean you just threw down your addiction in one moment? And I will admit, most of recovery is a process. There are times of miraculous deliverance. But statistically, most recovery, even through self-hatred into self-love through the gospel, it's just a process. So here we go. I'm going to read this and just chew on it later throughout the week. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Can we just listen to that? This is Jesus. There's such thing as judgment. God told me that food was a foreign idol in my life, and he wasn't being funny about it. And I've done something about it in the past two years. I was like, Lord, I don't like this. I dare you to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, shine your light on my life and show me what I need to deal with. Because there's no condemnation in Christ, but there is conviction. And somewhere along the way, we thought that the devil was only in Hollywood. The devil's behind a lot of pulpits in America. And we've associated and just made a synonym out of condemnation and conviction. Those are not the same thing. 
judgment's real. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This shows me right there that God really cares about not just the secret place and what we're journaling, but he cares about our actions towards each other. Do you know that the best marriage advice I could ever give is this? Forgive your spouse daily, love well. I started praying a prayer in all areas of my life with my kiddos, uh, with Wendy, with this church. Jesus, I invite you into my relationships. God's awesome. You want to know why the Lord doesn't do more in our lives? Because we don't invite him to. That prayer right there, when I, when I pray for people's physical needs, I'm, I don't have a Learjet. I don't have a white suit. I'm, I don't, I, I'm not a healing evangelist. I invite Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, wow, Lord, that's amazing. Jesus heals people. You say, well, of course he heals people. Yes, but he partners with our faith. Let it be done to you as you have believed. If you think it's not a big deal to forgive those who you've done something wrong to or you haven't gotten something right with someone who's done something to you, how do we know that our worship is even pure at the altar? Because we've created a cereal box theology. Oh, I'm okay because Papa Daddy God loves me. Papa Daddy God is a judge. He's kind, but he's also severe. Even this book that, that I'm reading by John Baker, Imagine the God of Heaven, what I love about it, I told Michael yesterday, it doesn't just uh, present, these are stories now, these are real stories. It's not like a, opinions. It doesn't just present the God of extreme love, it's also the God of extreme consequences. I would rather follow God for who he is than me make up something that brings me a pseudo peace only to get 10 years down range and go, whoa. I told you guys this, the tent was out here a year and a half ago. It was a Saturday and I went up under the tent to worship and I heard right here loud, Chad, he called me by my name. You have judgment against your, and he, he named someone in my life and I was like, Lord, I had no idea. I got down on my knees. I said, I'm so sorry. We, we, have to, we, we have to love the God of Acts 5, not just the God of Acts 2. Our sins will find us out. And God conceals things until he doesn't. God is shaking his temple right now. He is removing leaders all over the earth who are presenting an inaccurate view of him. None of us can escape it, including me. But the person who's scared to come to the altar typically is the person who is hiding something. I can't tell you how many times that people who are hiding, they sit in the back of this room or they will not come in during worship or during a time of prayer at the altar. It's like, uh-uh. It's because... We've got those fig leaves on. God's amazing. He forgives the woman caught in the act of adultery. He's not afraid of my brokenness, but he will not come fully into my situation until I bring my sin to him. What is it about us that we're afraid to bring our sin to him? Pride. The devil feasts upon pride. The father feasts upon humility. How about Hebrews 12, 15? Look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Do you know the passage where it says it's better to have 
something tied around your neck and throw you to the bottom of the ocean than to hurt one of these little ones. The correct interpretation there is when you pull someone out of their spiritual covering, you will be held accountable before God. There are people that have tons of influence and they do not know that a bitter root has taken form in them. I've seen this. In 25 years of ministry, I see this all the time. You have to know you're gonna be held accountable when you're, if you think your bitterness is just about you, your bitterness will begin to affect all of those around you. A bitter pastor will create a culture of a bitter church. Oil can only flow from the top down. A bitter teacher creates a bitter classroom. When, if, if bitterness ever forms a root in me, the Father, he, he made me and he loves me and he likes me, but his judgment falls upon this stuff way more than we've ever believed. If your community has had a conversation with you, let's say that, because here's how God does it. If you can't see it, God will bring someone else in your life. And then if you can't see your offense, your bitter root, because this is fascinating. We're going to start filming on this on Monday, Michael and I, tomorrow. It's unbelievable to me how many people in the bride of Christ are addicted to offense and they don't know it and they spin it as wisdom because they know what something somebody else doesn't know. Even when I'm wronged, I do not deserve the right to be offended with the person who has wronged me. And, I, and listen, sometimes this stuff takes a lot of work and a lot of counseling and I want to be sensitive to that. I just want to stick to the scripture here. We have to war against allowing bitterness to take roots in our hearts. There was someone years ago and the amount of warning dreams for this person. I, I really, to the point where I said, Father, has this person been turned over to the enemy? How can they not look at seven dreams? Seven dreams, seven different people and a group of people saying, please deal with your bitter root. Said, I'm not bitter. I'm fine. It's scary. Hebrews says that we have to, we have to guard our hearts to, to uh, it's called basically in the Greek there, keep a pliable, tender heart. Do not let your hearts be hardened. You know what hardens heart? It's not bitterness in one moment. It's that bitterness that just keeps swirling in your mind and you just sit on it and sit on it and sit on it because that person told me that this was going to happen and it didn't happen and then the devil comes and the father is the one that releases this stuff for you to deal with. When the tormentors begin to increase, that's when a person can't find peace and all the Lord wants is for you to lay yourself at the altar and say, I forgive whoever and I ask that you forgive me for who I've hurt. Mr. Logan was supposed to be here this morning to speak. He was an alcoholic for 46 years. He couldn't come this morning. He's gonna come in a few weeks. I'm gonna let you tell his story. This is the key to breakthrough recovery, humility. Holy Spirit, show me who I've wronged. I'm gonna tell this story and I'm gonna tell you his name. I told you this story, Joshua, at lunch a while back. The night I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was, I'm 51 now, I was 31. And when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was by myself. I said, Father, I want you to baptize me the way that you baptized Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And I immediately began to pray in tongues. And for a Baptist guy to have no one in the room, you're not watching charismatic TV, you're not reading a book. It's a pretty cool story. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit with me and Jesus. And I was Baptist. And I prayed in tongues. And I, I remember thinking, I can't wait for Wendy to wake up because it was like 2 a.m. I'm like, this is awesome. And I got in the, I think it's Corinthians where Paul says, I think, I pray in tongues more than you all. And I was like, Lord, this is incredible. 
The first thing the Lord says to me is, I want you to call Tim Drool and I want you to apologize. I was 31 years old when I got that word and I had greatly wronged someone. I had no idea why I did it. I had greatly wronged someone when I was 18 years old. So apparently God has a good memory. So from 18 to 31, let's see, I went to UGA, 13, 13 years. Um, that was a joke. No one got in the joke. And so the next morning, I'm pretty sure it's December 26. I'd have to go back and ask him. I, back then, I don't think I had Facebook. It was before that for me. And I remembered his phone number from high school. I called his phone number, and he answered. He was home for one day on Christmas vacation. And he, was, he had gone into the Army, and he was an Army Ranger. So this is like, oh, boy. Um, and um, he got emotional on the phone. I got emotional. And I met him the next day, went to the Beacon Drive-In in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I cried when I saw him. And I said, to this day, I cannot tell you why I hurt you the way I did. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I started crying hard, and so did he. I felt like a weight lifted off of me that was supernatural. Fast forward 10 years, I'm now 41 years old, and I'm speaking in Roanoke, Virginia, I believe it was. Tim had seen my book, um, Signs, Wonders, and a Baptist Preacher, and he was in Virginia, and he came to watch me minister. And he said, Chad, I've got a medical issue that's very severe, and it's, it's not good at all. I prayed for him. He got miraculously 100% healed of an issue that he had. Why do I bring this up? When you have a true encounter with the Holy Spirit, here's how you know you're walking with God. You're on the prowl looking to see who you can ask to forgive you and who you can make amends with and who you can forgive. True God lovers forgive easily. True Satan followers. I don't mean these weird people that put on hoods and read the satanic Bible. That stuff's so overly dramatic. You can think you're in Christ and be following the devil based upon one metric in your life. You have a very hard time forgiving. The person that can't forgive and the person that can't make amends, the person that can't own their stuff, it doesn't make you like some, it's not like it's some contest. It's, it's just like when you go to the doctor and get your blood pressure taken, it's just an honest assessment. This is your blood pressure in spiritual capital. Your inability to forgive. And ask yourself this, why are you always drawn to communities that gossip and slander? Why do you like to spend your time with the person of perdition, I believe it's called in Titus? You know, warn a divisive person once, twice if necessary. Third time, have nothing to do with them. What is it? Do, do you like gossip? Is it something that's become an addiction to where you like offense? Because what I've noticed is people that walk in offense, they always find each other. And I'm sitting here saying, this is not a recruiting strategy for a church. It's not some strategy to get you to go to a church. It's a strategy to help you perhaps not allow your soul to go to hell forever when you die. We're blind. Satan's given the American church an ambient pill. We're asleep. 
We've created this Papa God theology that's just an overreaction to legalism back in the day. And now we've turned the sonship message into, it's not a big deal. Just come to the altar because daddy's waiting on you. I'm going to tell you the daddy that's waiting on you is for you to deal with the sin in your life and me too. Lord told me two years ago, get your house in order. You said, well, you're the lead pastor. He has to say that. I don't walk with God because I'm a lead pastor. I want to be okay with him on the judgment seat day. I want to be okay. I want to be clean. I want to be clean. You know, people that, that don't walk in addiction, they're just happier than other people. I don't want the sin that so in, easily entangles me. I, I don't want that stuff. And so when I mess up and I blow it, I, I, I want to be like, I got to get that right. In January, Wendy and I are going to get on the stage. I've been seeking God. A year and a half ago, I was in the prayer chapel, and I said, Father, please give me a strategy that there would never be one scandal to ever hit this place, even after I'm dead and gone 100 years in heaven. And he said, I will. We're going to talk about uh, different leaders over time, some who have gone on to heaven. We're going to talk about William Brand and how he didn't finish well. We're, we're, we're going to talk about what's going on in these different pockets and places in the world today why do so many leaders not finish well? And one of the things that we do is we create so much pride. We, we become so consumed with so much pride. We don't allow other people to speak into our lives on a daily basis. We're all wounded strugglers. Uh, seriously, guys, we're all wayfarers and pilgrims. We're limping to the judgment seat. And the moment you don't let someone speak into you, here's what, here's what you do. You'll go find a pocket of people that are yes men and yes women, and they'll just tell you what you want to hear, and you will do a slow drift away from the vine. And you may get a lot of followers in the process. Be like St. Teresa of Avila that told the nuns, please call out my deficiencies. But you know, it's just easier to go to communities where there is no challenge. Let's just admit it. I slept in a bed last night that I paid $6,200 for six years ago. I didn't sleep on a bed of nails. Comfort is nice sometimes. It just is. I have on uh, these boots. The young people, they like them. What you don't know, they're hay dudes. They're so comfortable I could run in them. I don't want to run because I don't run, but they're hay dudes. But when comfort becomes the goal, you drift from the king. And making amends with someone I've wronged is not comfortable. It hurts. Let me wrap it up here. A major part of recovery is offering forgiveness to those who have hurt us and to make amends to those we've hurt. There's two beatitudes that help us here. Number one, happy are those who are merciful to others. Number two, happy are those who work for peace. I'm gonna say something the Holy Spirit showing me as I close this morning. Not all the time, but a lot of times people who are really wonderful at being merciful are also very bad at setting boundaries. There comes times when God's telling you to stop doing life with people. And I'm just going to tell you, one of Satan's strategies is to think you're being merciful when you're actually crossing the line of obedience of someone that the Father's actually told you to stop doing life with. This is where Satan is so sneaky because he says, can't we just all love each other? You have to be careful how you define love. Where there is no revelation of Titus, you can get yourself, man, I'm going to say it. If you knew the consequences of strife, and gossip and slander, we open up doorways for devils to wreak havoc in our lives. It's the cause of early death. It's the cause of calamity. It's the cause of so much demonic activity because you would not do what the Lord called you to do. And here's what makes it so demonic. You thought you were actually loving well. 
what you didn't know how to do is set a boundary with someone the Father told you not to set a, not to do life with anymore. You see, merciful people struggle with that. It's like God wouldn't be that way. Just read the New Testament. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. Just read the, just read for first time in your life. Just know you're going to die one day, and this stuff eternally matters. Read the New Testament for yourself. Don't even ask your spouse for help. Don't blog. Don't Google it. Just read it. And watch after all Paul does is warn and warn and warn. You say, well, I don't want to follow a God that way. God's trying to protect you from the thief who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And sometimes my little feeling needs to hear hard words because my little feelings can end up putting myself in hell. I know this is a hard word, but I got to do it, guys. The Garden Green was a plumb line house. It is. You say, that's uncomfortable. I'd rather be uncomfortable and follow Jesus than join a community that makes me feel great not knowing that most of the community is nothing but a bunch of offended people who have bonded over their own hurt and offense. Todd White one time, he, he said that uh, communities of offense are like demonic wound-licking groups. I've even seen people that used to hate each other and then they become offended over the same person and now they become best friends. I should do a documentary on that. There's one way to become really good friends with somebody. Not walk with the Lord and become offended over the same person that the other person is. Then you're going on vacation together and you're like, this is weird. We used to hate each other. Not knowing that the devil's got you both tied behind your back and the hands behind your back. How about just forgive? And here's the deal. There are many instances that the person really did hurt you. The person really did hurt me. Okay, so is that like an appendix in the back of the Bible? Well, because they really did hurt me. So sorry. Forgiveness feels good. Mm. You know what I care about? Ooh, I feel the Lord on this. I want to discover God the rest of my life. I don't know how much time I have. I feel like my time's running out. Even if I lived, you know, if I lived like Pat Robertson lived to be in my 90s. That's not that much longer. I want to see how much of God I can discover while I'm here. And the Father's showing me, if you really want to uh, discover me, it's through the narrow gate of extreme forgiveness. You can hop from conference to conference and try to get Randy Clark and Bill Johnson and go to the grave of Maria Woodworth Edder and try to get the anointing of Jack Coe and Lord knows what else. Why don't you just go to the ponds today before you leave? Take those rocks I've got in the bucket and forgive your perpetrator and watch how God comes to you. I'm not kidding. We have a bucket down there. Don't use too many rocks. I got to save them for the kids at school, but go down there and grab one, throw it in the... All right, repairing relationships takes hard work. That's just good teaching right there. It's hard work. Wouldn't it be great for a fat guy just to lose 100 pounds in two months and it not hurt? Yeah. It'd be great. Think about right now whatever your hurt, habit, and hang-up is. Let's say that uh, you self-cut. That's your addiction. You just love to just... Hate yourself. You know what the worst thing to tell an addict is? Well, just stop doing that. Imagine calling, all right, I got an invitation for, uh, let's get the alcoholics in the room. Come on down. Here's the, here's the grand word. It's from the fourth portal in the third region. I had an encounter with the, here's the word. Just don't drink anymore. Wow! I told the Lord yesterday, I ate my one meal yesterday. I'm, be honest. I said, Lord, because I'm doing intermittent fasting right now, and please don't come give me diet tips. I'm so tired of that. Um, 
My people mean well, but it's let me go on my own journey and find God in this. I'm doing intermittent fasting, and I was like, Lord, I was like, I really am asking for a grace to stick to one meal. I get to my dad's house last night to watch the Georgia game. My nephew, David, says, we're going to Jersey Mike's. Uh, what do you want from Jersey Mike's? He said, you okay? I said, I want a, I want a Philly cheese sub. Ask him to put a little more meat on that because I'm sick and tired of these subs that have no meat on them. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, how am I supposed to get on stage tomorrow? I asked you to help me for one day. I cried out to you. It's hard work. Recovery is always on the other side of doing hard work. Golly, can we just say, can we hear that? Recovery is always on the other side of doing hard work. Have you ever met a marriage that's a great marriage that just, they just won the lottery? You know? Chad wakes up in the morning, I'm like, Wendy, why are you crying? Because I just love you so much. I can't believe God blessed me with you. <laughs> Have y'all ever had your spouse just start crying? Imagine Elizabeth Vincent just bawling. I just can't believe you woke up again. I got another day to, to just do life with you. You know what we do when we wake up? Who's picking up, Ruthie? The oil's out on one car. Well, babe, I'm about to preach. I don't care. We got stuff to do. That's real life. Marriage takes work. Finance takes work. I listen to Dave Ramsey's show a lot, and my favorite shows is when he fusses at people. It makes me laugh. All right, so tell me your situation. We're $190,000 in debt. All right, so are you spending more than you make? Oh, yeah, you spend a lot more than we make. All right, let's step one. Stop doing that. Well, you say, I don't want to do that because it's hard. And some people say, well, I'm just not ready to go through counseling. No, listen, I get it. You better get ready. What are you going to do? Just hang on to bitterness and unforgiveness and then hope you go to heaven when you die? You might as well get in there and say, all right, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And guess what happens? When you come clean with your sin and your offense and your bitterness, the tender healing, Jesus comes and hugs you and said, that's all I was waiting on. I was just waiting on you to come clean. God's not afraid of your mess. I had someone recently, because I... I got two minutes left. I, I sit in a funny seat because I get to help a lot of people discover God and all of us think we're the only one going through something. It's unbelievable to me. I literally had someone say to me not that long ago, brother, I know you've heard a lot of stories, but you've not heard one like mine. And I got to know the person's story and I, I've got a lot of, I, I'm not very religious. So I take my shots from time to time and I say, hey, I want to tell you something. Remember when you told me that I've never heard a story like yours. I was like, your story is really not even that big of a deal. He had thought in his mind he had committed the unpardonable sin. Man, there ain't nothing God can't heal you of unless you hide. All right, Colossians 3.13, how good is this? We'll close here. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. As we end today... I think this is just a really powerful question to ask yourself and myself. Is eternity 
is being wobbly about eternity worth the bitterness and offense that we carry? I just don't think it is. I think that we should take the Lord seriously and just have the courage to face the discomfort of forgiving those who have hurt us and making amends with those we've hurt. Here's what I want to do on this side over here. On top, You want to go ahead and put it there, baby? This is the sign-up sheet for Celebrate Recovery. And let me just remind us, what, what is Celebrate Recovery? Celebrate Recovery is a program that we are going to begin around Easter. It will meet every Thursday night. It is a program designed to help people deal with their hurts, hang-ups, and habits. You may not have a drug addiction, a porn addiction, or alcoholism addiction. You might have an addiction to offense, to bitterness, to codependency. I could go on and on. We're not here to hurt anyone. We're here to put practical tools in the hands of normal, everyday people that helps them deal with their stuff. Uh, your mess is your message. God's not afraid of your mess unless you keep hiding and won't give it to him. Between now and then, I need to form a team of between 40 and 50 people. In order to be on this team, you need to be a member of this church. And I'm going to begin to meet with all of us rhythmically starting in a few weeks. We're going to have a meeting. And I will train us how to pull this off. We have a recovery meeting right now that will morph into Celebrate Recovery. Uh, just think of it this way. On a Thursday night, think of 12 rooms filled here. And you see a lot of people that don't go to Garden Greenville because they've gotten on the app. And they've just come here because they know this is the place that wants to help hurting people. Uh, this is an outreach program. Is it like AA? Uh, it's Christ-centered. So at Celebrate Recovery, we're not going to say, hey, my name's Chad, I'm an addict. We're going to say, my name's Chad, I'm a child of Abba, and right now I'm currently struggling with this. It's based on sonship and daughtership. It'll take me a while to cast vision for this. I think we already have around 30 people signed up to be on the team. I need 50. There's going to be a cooking team because we're going to eat a meal together every Thursday night. Uh, greeting team. There's different levels. I can explain that later. Uh, some of y'all just need to jump in. The best way to grow is when you're giving your own spiritual capital away. I've been going to youth group a lot on Wednesday nights. It's not because it's on my job description. It's because we keep what we give away. And I've been asking God, I said, I want, I want you to increase my hunger for you. And your hunger increases when you give it away. And so uh, if you're scared to lead here, it's okay. I mean, I'm insecure most of the time anyway. Get over it. Get over yourself. Get over it. Um, come sign up. And then over here, if you are interested in becoming a member at the Garden Greenville, we'll have, who's at the table today? We will have some friendly, fun people at the table <laughs> that help you know how to take next steps. Let's stand up together. Brandon, why don't you come pray over this house? Typically, what we go through, God gives us authority to help others. Why don't you just pray a blessing that this be a house of forgiveness and amends.